Welcome to the Business of Design podcast. I'm Cheryl Horn, Director of Operations for Business of Design. A lot has changed at Business of Design since this episode originally aired. For the latest information and rates on events and membership at Business of Design, head to businessofdesign.com. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is episode 31, Why Smart Entrepreneurs Do Dumb Things with Money, and this is part one of that topic. Why do you think that smart entrepreneurs like you and like me do dumb things with money? I can certainly speak for myself and say I've done every dumb thing you could possibly do with money, including and probably most detrimental to me is sticking my head in the sand, which I did for many, many years. Anyway, I had these questions and I wanted to reach out to someone who's a finance expert and I immediately thought of Bruce Celery. He's got a huge personality, but he's very smart about money and he makes the topic approachable. And I think you're going to love the episode. We did end up cutting the episode into two parts because it was too good to shove all into one uh, episode. Uh, But in the first part, Bruce is going to lay out the questions we need to ask ourselves right at the beginning if we want to create a a sound foundation for having financial sense or financial savvy. Uh, And he's going to run through those categories with us. Now, during the podcast, Bruce also happened to mention that he recently threw a 50th birthday party for his husband, and he mentioned that at that party, he did something called a living greeting card, and we talk about it just a little bit in the podcast, and then I say that I'm going to ask him to clarify more about that at the end of the podcast, but I forgot. So now I'm going to tell you, I reached out to him after we uh, did the interview and asked him about the living greeting card, which I thought sounded so fun. So essentially what he he does is he's got his party of people together and he assigns each person a question that's going to reveal some insights into the birthday honoree's personality. So for example, he said, one person, he said, what was Dennis really like in high school? And they had three minutes and their answer was already prepared and everybody went around the table and answered their one question and it ended up being, you know, fun and sad and bittersweet and wonderful and just a great part of the event. So I thought I'm going to do that uh, for a party coming up. Not sure which one, but I thought that sounded like a lot of fun. So I'm going to clear up that mystery right at the top and then you can just relax and enjoy the episode. Uh, Why smart entrepreneurs do dumb things with money. This is part one. Welcome to the Business of Design podcast with Kimberly Selden. Brought to you by Business of Design, a coaching community for independent designers like you. We all know design matters. At Business of Design, we think designers matter too. Hey, Cheryl. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. What do you have on your calendar upcoming for us? Well, the next event you're speaking at is a Habitat for Humanity event called Steel Toes and Stilettos. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? It's coming up on November 2nd. Yeah. Do I get to choose what I wear? Steel Toes or Stilettos? I'm not, I think I'm going to go Steel Toe. <laughs> Mix and match. Yeah. yeah. I did. I did. Now, I've done several Habitat builds before, but uh, last summer I did one uh, with the Jimmy Carter work project, and I decided to really commit myself to doing more work with Habitat for Humanity. First of all, I think it's a great cause, but secondarily, I think it's a terrific way as an interior design professional for you to get empowered around the building side of the business and know a little bit more when you come to talk to your trades and your contractors. Um, So I'm excited. I'm not sure where I'm building this year. We've got a couple of locations on the table. Uh, One was Cambodia, which I was really looking forward to, but now with all the hurricanes that have happened uh, in the United States, I'm thinking we might even be switching our efforts to something closer to home. So I'm excited about it. Everybody check out Habitat for Humanity and get involved. We will um, perhaps a year from now do a business of design build somewhere and give you guys lots and lots of uh, notice so you can participate. It's a great cause. And thank you for bringing that up, Cheryl. You have a wonderful day. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say that we did a build as an office, as a team outing um, years ago now, but that that was a great experience. The whole, our whole office went out to a build. Yeah, it was cool because not everybody was a designer, right? Uh, everybody came at it from yeah. a totally different place. Yeah, that's right. Okay, we need to do that again. We got to get on that. Yeah, let's get that on the calendar. <laughs> okay, talk to you soon. Bye. And now back to the show. Let me tell you just a little bit about Bruce Celery. He is a big TV personality. He appears on City Line. He does a lot of work with CBC, which is another network in Canada. He writes columns. Uh, one of them for Money Sense is uh, very actionable. He's the author of two best-selling books, Moolala, Why Smart People Do Dumb Things With Their Money and What You Can Do About It, and Moolala, A Guide to Rockin' Your RRSP or Rockin' Your Retirement. Uh, great topics, great books. There are links to both of those books on the website. And um, I didn't ask him if he has an audio book, but that's what I would do because I just love his personality. He gets super dramatic about everything. It's like my inner drama diva is, is just realized in his delivery. Bruce was also the host of the Million Dollar Neighborhood on the OWN network. So he's been brushed by Miss O, which is kind of fabulous. His background is business. He was previously with Procter & Gamble, and he's been able to take all of that business learning and focus in on helping people better own their finances and use their finances to create the lifestyle they deserve and desire. And Bruce is married to a wonderful guy named Dennis, who's a theater director, and they have a daughter named Abby. Bruce, you are so sweet for taking time out of your day to do this. How are you? Hello, I'm great. Thank you. Oh, I love talking to you. Your energy is so infectious and particularly about a topic that I'm going to speak for myself here and say was not easy to get comfortable with and that's money or moolala as you call it in your great book. Yes. Well, you're speaking on behalf of approximately 7 billion people when you say you're not comfortable talking about money. It's one of those things that people get nuts about. It is, uh, it, it's a topic that makes us feel inadequate. We can do ridiculous things when it comes to money. And just, just bringing it up, just for some of your listeners who are just clicking play on this podcast are like, oh my God, oh my God. It's yeah. just terrifying the notion of even opening the door, even just a crack. So I promise we're going to have a little bit of fun and we're going to approach money in a different way. Okay. Cause you, you couldn't see my head, but it was nodding, nodding, nodding. Every one of those yeah. examples. Um, yeah. I've done stupid things with money. I've put my head in the sand where money is concerned. And I am a bona fide entrepreneur since I was a little mm. kid. I had to go and to business for myself. This There was no other way it was going to go down. That's probably true for a lot of our listeners. So how come we can be so great at having the courage to step out and open a business and yet not be so prepared to talk about money with ease? Yeah. Well, uh, my first book was called Moolala, Why Smart People Do Dumb Things With Their Money and What You Can Do About It. And given your audience of stylists, stagers, decorators, designers, people with an artistic temperament and people who are entrepreneurs, let's reframe that to say, why do smart entrepreneurs do dumb things? Right. And there are four reasons. So I'm going to just give you the four and then you can probe on each um, as you feel appropriate. But there, there, there are these. Context. We haven't answered the question, what is my money for? Consequences. We are unable to connect our behavior with its outcome. We're just not like our brain doesn't work that way. We can't, we can't clue it in. Complexity. We either have too much when it comes to money or too little. And lastly is community, which I love that you've invited me to talk to your, to your people, because uh, if we think about community, there are so many areas in which we have no problem rallying people around to do something great. I just hosted a um, 50th birthday party for my husband on Friday night. So easy to get people to show up, to celebrate the thing. Like, it's very easy to get communities rallied around certain things. And yet when it comes to money and to personal finance, we don't leverage 
community. And I'll, I'll, we talked about it. I'll tell you what community provides, the three benefits of community, and why that's such an enormous missed opportunity. Okay. And now I have to take my brain off the fact that I wasn't at this fabulous birthday party because I just, I bet it was super fun. 30 people at a sit down dinner, an extraordinary um, meal. And then we did what I called the living greeting card which I just made up. I make stuff up all the time. So I made up this living greeting card and it was beautiful. There was laughter. There was tears. It was fantastic. Oh, so you mean people stood up one at a time and... and Yes, but with a very specific intention. I don't do anything without a very, very clear intention. So there was a very clear intention around the design of the way the speeches work. There is no run-on blathering in an environment that I lead. It's not happening. Okay. All right. This Okay. I'm going to ask you this at the end of the show to clarify this for us. But you yeah. mentioned intention and that was one of the things I realized I didn't have the right intentions when it came to money. So I suspect when you talk about context, consequences, complexity, and community, you're going to also tell us about our, talk to us about our intentions. Yeah. So I, I, I view them as being synonymous. So the context is the setting in which an event occurs. So if you think about, um, you know, how a setting informs everything, let's think about this birthday party. So we had this birthday party in the wine cellar of this fantastic Italian restaurant. I had everyone wear black. Everyone had to wear black. And the birthday boy wore a brightly colored shirt. I briefed the servers. We chose the wine. We chose the menu. My eight-year-old was there with um, noisemakers and tricks. Everything about the setting was designed. That birthday party would have been very, very different if I had held it in the McDonald's playroom. (laughs) Right? Like, it would have been a very, very different party if the guests were the same. If they, um, you know, had had the same days, if they showed up and the f- even if the food was the same, if it's in a McDonald's playroom, it's going to be a very, very different party. And so the first question I ask people is, what's your money for? And they'll tell me, they'll describe something, right? They'll say it's for the rent, it's for the mortgage, it's for survival. They'll describe something. Okay, wait, and I got to stop say, you right there. So yeah. when you hear someone say it's for the rent, it's for mortgage, it's survival, isn't that already their intention is just to barely squeak by? Like, yeah. to me, when I hear that, I think, oh, honey, you're just not asking for enough for yourself. The universe is generous and you're not getting a piece of it. Yeah, I, I come to it in a bit of a different way. And it's that that answer is a description. And what I'm asking is a creation. I'm asking them to create what money is for, not describe it. And I love the artistic temperament of your listeners because they'll be like, oh, right. I would like people in your world think about creating things all the time. It's what they do. And by the way, I work with artists all the time. My husband's a theater director. I began this work using artists and directors and and all the artistic people in our community to come up with this uh, approach. And So when you ask people, if you were to create what money is for, what would you say? And they come up with the most amazing answers. So they're not going to say survival. They're going to say beauty, travel, um, family, choices, experiences, contribution. They're going to have the most extraordinary answers. And what that does immediately is it shifts the conversation from dollars and cents in a bank account or on a credit card to what life is for. Really, it's a synonymous question. What's your money for? What's your life for? They're the same. The experiences that you can have or enhance because you have enough moolah in the bank. Yeah. Not only enhanced, completely enabled. Right. So you take all that money away and yeah, absolutely. There's certain parts of your life that you can have, but uh, certain things that you can't. And I don't mean that in a material way, I mean, some people, their family is hugely, hugely important. And they think, my God, I had this one person in a workshop recently and she has an 18 year old autistic son. And so she said, my money is for survival. My money is for survival. It's all for Scotty. And I said, like, let's really look at this. What Mm -hmm. if you took the case that your money is for Scotty? And her eyes lit up and her tears welled up. And she's like, yeah, like this is all about having um, support for my 18-year-old for the duration of his life. I'm not surviving. He's an extraordinary human being. But I'm going to do all the work required such that he has what he needs 
given, um, you know, given the way his life unfolds. Like he's not a kid who's going to leave home at 18 and backpack around Europe and get some job somewhere. He's just not going to be that kid. He's going to be a different kid. And so let's reframe what your money is for in a way, first of all, that is uh, empowering to you. Because here's the deal. Personal financing, keeping a hold, getting a hold on your money, so boring. Like, I think it is, like, the most boring thing in the world. And if it's for survival, I'm so not interested. But if it's for adventure or for Scotty or for community and, like, all that, it's for something. The stakes are high. It's kind of like the exercise program that you embark after you've survived a heart attack. Right. Your doctor says you need to lose 10 pounds and exercise every day. You got it, baby. All right, here we go. Whereas the day before the heart attack, you're like, oh, God, I totally don't want to. And look, <laughs> it just, my daughter brought home brownie cookies. I love brownie cookies. And look, I can fit six of them in my mouth at the same time. <laughs> okay, okay. But okay. So I think I have this thought all the time. Why can't I summon the motivation to be the person on the exercise plan before the heart attack? If I know that that's true, right? I know if the doctor said, you're going to die tomorrow if you don't start doing the following, I would start doing the following. Why can't I summon that? And that ties into money too, right? Oh, absolutely. And you're asking what I will assert with a uh, playful but pointed opinion. You're asking the wrong question. Ooh, tell me the right one. Wrong question. Here's why. So let's see. So why can't I get a handle on my money? Why can I not do the stuff to to get on top of it? So you should go to a therapist for that. And you should talk about your childhood and talk about blah, 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 blah. And I'll tell you, the answer is like, because it requires willpower and that's hard. Or because it was your mother was mean to you when you were seven. You'll, you'll do all that introspection, all that thought, and it will provide you with nothing. Except for maybe a nice insight. Oh, look, I realized that in grade two, Miss Thompson told me I was stupid or whatever. Here's a question that provides immediate benefit. And that is, what is it going to take to take action? Because it's going to take all of us something, whether or not it's food, exercise, money, whatever it is, it's going to take something from us. And it's one of four things with, you know, there may be some exceptions, but basically it's one of four things. So it is going to take patience. It is going to take creativity. It is going to take discipline. And most importantly, it is going to take courage. To make any change in life, it's going to take courage. And if you, you're, you know, you're, some of your listeners are like, you know, maybe they've, they're a designer who's worked for a firm and they want to go out on their own or they're, um, you know, they've worked in movies and they want to work in residential or whatever, whatever. And asking the question of why am I not taking action who cares? There's no use for that. But if you take the case that it's, what is it going to take for me to take action? Then you say, you know what? It's really about courage. Okay. So here's what I'm going to do. How am I going to support myself to do something freaking terrifying? And then you've got a list of actions. You can get a therapist, you can get a coach, you can get your best friend to come and sit at your house um, and do whatever. So you've got a way to, to, to have action in that way. So here's an example. I started in very traditional packaged goods marketing. I was a Procter and Gamble brand manager. I focused on facial tissue boxes. It just about killed me. And I knew that the dream was to be on television. That's what I wanted to do. So I quit my job and I now needed to go. I knew no one in television, not no one. And so I had to cold call. This is back in the days of a telephone. You may remember these days. (laughs) I had to cold call the news directors at every single station, every single show, every single, every single. And I was terrified to do this. But instead of asking the question, why am I not calling the news directors? The question I asked, now I didn't frame it this way at the time, but the question I asked was, what's it going to take? It's going to take courage. So who's going to give me the courage? And instead of a bottle of Jack Daniels, which would have been one option, (laughs) I had a friend come over to my house and she sat in my house. And so she was in my living room and I said, okay, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to call City TV. I'm calling City TV. Steve Hurlbut's the guy I got to call. I got to call him. I'm going to call him. I'm going to call him. She said, you walk over there. You walk into that office and pick up the phone. I pick up the phone. I call. I get a voicemail. I leave the voicemail message. I come back. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Did you die? No, I didn't die. Okay, now's the time. You got to call Canada Am. Here, I'm going to call Canada Am. Okay, I'm calling Canada Am. Then I come back. 
and so I had someone who was right there. It's too to bad you don't me. have a lot of drama in your life. I do. Not, there is no. You're drama. like acting out my inner life. Like the way you sound is how I feel doing the exact yeah. things you're describing. So thank you. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not alone. That's awesome. No. Okay, so then you. And called- it is for most of the. The thing is, even so, so some people think uh, other people don't go through this, and it's a white. It's a. It's a just a total bold place lie. Okay. Right. It's just that people manage themselves differently yeah. uh, or their thing is different or their volume is just turned lower. But we all have the same basic hurdles of uh, requiring patience, creativity, discipline and courage. It's just the design of human beings. Okay, so we're going to ask ourselves from now on, what's it going to take for me to take action? I'm going to identify what that characteristic is, patience, creativity, discipline, or courage, I think you said. And then if you're stumped and you need further support, you grab somebody who has that virtue and you get them to hold your hand and walk you through it. So you don't have to do this alone. Yeah. And, you know, if you think about creativity, what's so funny about, and then this is why I love working with artistic people, people with a creative temperament, is they have creativity to burn and they don't use it in the area of personal finance. They don't. I mean, by and large, they don't. They use right. it in their work, their work, their work, and they don't use it in their life, their life, their life. Because Sometimes. it doesn't you know, some people do feel like finance is creative. It feels so like creative. finance is a, sometimes, and I'm speaking about how I used to feel, it feel it felt like finance was a straight jacket. Yeah. And my only access to finance was a whole bunch of math and charts. And, yeah. and also the thing is you're talking to people who are working, 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 super busy, running a very complex business operation. Yeah. And now we have to stop doing all that super busy stuff and put on our math hat and figure out our finances. So yeah. it's just like, I, I would argue that it's not a math hat because the math is really, really basic. It's really, really basic. Let me give you an example. So I used to work with this other guy at uh, Procter and Gamble who wanted to be a musician, which is a ridiculous career choice. Like you just shouldn't do this. This is a terrible idea. So in this major corporate environment with all sorts of rules, he thought, you know what? I'm going to be creative about this. How am I going to do this? So he asked to go part-time, which you might be able to do if you were a mom and you had a kid at home, but going part-time as a, as a marketing leader in a packaged goods company was not simply not done. So he did that and he bought a house with three units in it. He rents out two of these units and years later, he makes a, a really good amount of money, part of it from the CD sales he sells, but a big part of it from the real estate that pays off all of his um, loans. And he ensured that he got the financing while he had the big marketing job because nobody's going to give a mortgage to a musician traveling around the prairies with a, you know, a piano and a song. It's not going to happen. So if you think about applying the creativity to the life of a designer, you come up with different ideas because remember that uh, there is a part of the life of an entrepreneur and the life of a designer that is outsourceable. But one of the hurdles to outsourcing is you don't have the revenue to uh, to um, pay for the virtual assistant or the drafter or the whatever, whatever. And if you really get creative about how you're going to run your business, that might be the thing that enables you to take it up outside of fabric swatches and blueprints and, you know, the, the deadline deadlines with the client and elevate your business into something that is much larger than, uh, you know, a solo enterprise. But it sounds like none of that is going to happen if we don't free ourselves from the bind of thinking finances are too hard and put it in a different context and think creatively about it. I mean, yeah. the musician guy, that was that was brilliantly creative for him to say, yeah. hmm, how am I going to do this? Like, what am I going to do to make this happen? So I sometimes yeah. will say to myself, there is a solution. I don't know what it is right now, yeah. but there is a solution. And so I'm going to try this first. And when that doesn't work, I'll try the next thing. And when that doesn't work, I'll try the next thing. So yeah. I'm at least setting myself up to ultimately succeed. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So that's all about context. If we don't know what the money is really for, the freedom it's going to buy us, the experience it's going to buy us, then we are going to lack the motivation that's required to do the work we need to do in order to get our business finances in order. Yeah. 
Okay. And then I think the second one you said was consequences. So is yes. that like you can't pay your rent? Is that a consequence? It is, it is more that we all have behaviors. We all have strengths and weaknesses. And there are consequences to those strengths and weaknesses that we are oblivious to. So here's an example. It just popped. It's not a designer example, but I was reading Toronto Life over the weekend, the magazine. And it was had this little financial profile of this couple. Great, great, great. It, it, it's about what they have in savings, what they earn, all those kinds of things. And it said that every month they, they save $1,500 so that they can, at one point down the road, buy an income property. Awesome. It also said, like three lines later, they have $5,000 in credit card debt. Mm. And this is a mistake people make all the time. Because they'll come up to me at events and say, hey, Bruce, I just got a $5,000 bonus. What should I do with it? And I'll say, oh, well, tell me, what do you have credit card debt? Oh, yeah, I've got about $3,000 in credit card debt. Why are we having this conversation? Yeah. There's your answer. Go pay you that pay debt. You pay debt off immediately. You zero that puppy out every single month. And people can't make that connection, even though the math is so compelling. It's a 25% interest rate. If you eliminate the credit card debt, you know, in the case of $5,000, let's say that's $1,000 in interest. Maybe $1,500. I mean, I don't know what it is, but it's an enormous amount of money and people can't connect it. Right. Not only can they not connect it to what I call the tangible consequence, which is something that's measurable, it's, it's, it's empirical, you can put a number to it easily, they fail to connect it to the intangible consequences. And this is really what it is. So what I have people do is I like, here's a list of uh, areas of money. These are either a strength for you or a weakness for you. So things like income, spending, borrowing, organizing, communicating, taking action, like there's a whole list of, of areas and you could have a strength or a weakness. Choose one that you'd say is a weakness and then tease out what the tangible consequence is, the thing that costs money and the intangible consequence that doesn't cost money. And what you will see is that with each of these weaknesses, there's something like, you know, I have a weakness in spending, so I don't pay off my credit card every month. The, the tangible consequence is that I pay $1,000 a year in interest. But the intangible consequence is it's stressful. And, you know, then my mm. partner spends money and I'm annoyed with her. And then I can't sleep. And then I have a regret about the shoes that I bought. So I've got all these things that I can't connect to the initial behavior. It gets lost in translation. And if you, if, you, uh, if you push the clouds away, you really look at that equation there. So you bought a pair of shoes that you didn't need. They went on your credit card. Now you can't pay off the credit card in full. You're paying $1,000 in interest. I'm making that number up. And you're pissed. Well, is the $1,000 in interest and the feeling of being pissed worth the shoes? And in some cases, absolutely, because they're the best shoes I've ever seen in my life. I love them. I'm going to keep them forever. And in many cases, you're like, oh, why did I buy those shoes? That was yeah. stupid. Yeah, they hurt. I should not have bought those shoes. <laughs> they hurt. They hurt. <laughs> I wore them once. And I just, I went to a wedding of my friend who I don't really like anyway. And okay, the so shoes. Are I'm going to see if I can get a gold star here by saying at that moment, should I be asking myself, what is it going to take for me to take action? Like I'm, I'm trapped in this loop of buying too much stuff, having credit card debt and feeling a regret. So is that the right question then to ask myself? In the moment where you're buying the shoes? Oh, no, no, not then. No, I'm weak. No, but <laughs> afterwards. You're buying the shoes. Yeah. Afterwards, when uh, you're looking at the credit card debt and you're having a fight with your husband and, you know, is that the moment when you say, okay, really, what is it going to take for me to get myself out of this loop? I would ask the question. So I'd actually ask the context question. What is my money for? And when I would ask that is the next time you walk into Holt Renfrew. Okay. Because those shoes are now bought and you can't return them. Yeah. If you don't There's live in Canada, Holt Renfrew is where you go for fancy shoes, by the way. <laughs> right. Okay. So Nordstrom's, <laughs> exactly. I don't know, Bergdorf Goodman, uh, Saks, whatever your, whatever your location of choice is. Because let's have the past be the past. There's no, there's no virtue in beating ourselves up for what has already occurred. What I want to arm you with is a framework. So the next time you walk into the store, you're like, hmm. I'm not going to buy those shoes and I'm not going to buy those shoes, not because I don't deserve those shoes or because they aren't amazing shoes, because what's my money for? My money's for um, freedom 
And if I buy the shoes, then I'm going to have to worry about paying off the credit card debt and whatever. But if you're someone who's got an abundant amount of cash and you want to buy the shoes, buy the shoes. I don't care if you buy the shoes. I don't care whatever you. And this is an important note of clarity. So everything I do is about inspiring people to get a better handle on their money so they can live the life they want. It is not my job to tell them, to tell anyone what that life should be. So if you want uh, a third home, if you want a brand new Mercedes, if you want a full-on facelift, tummy tuck, whatever it is, I don't care. I just want you to have it. But I also want to be um, listening for the longevity of your well-being. Because if you have all those three things that I mentioned now and you have no money for your 80-year-old self, you're screwed. So I'm listening for the life that you want with the knowledge that most people want a life that is amazing from now until the day they die. And if they front end load it, they're screwed. Right. And in all things, it's either discipline or regret, right? I mean, at some point you have to have discipline or you're going to have regret. So, um, okay. So, so that's consequences. And if I tie that to someone who's got a small, let's just say off the top of my head, a small interior design business. Yeah. And you're telling yourself month after month, I need help, but I can't afford it. I need a bookkeeper, but I can't afford it. Yeah. How do you get out of that loop? Get the bookkeeper. Yeah. I mean, that, that example. Yeah. Well, and I say that, so I am a huge advocate for outsourcing what we're not great at. And it's very difficult to do because you're in this chicken or egg thing where the business isn't big enough to support the bookkeeper. But uh, in order to make the, the business bigger, you need the bookkeeper because you're busy doing your book. So uh, I, I, don't have a, that, I don't have a simple answer on how you make the financials work. But if you think about what your unique ability is, and that's a that's a Dan Sullivan uh, paradigm, but what um, really what you bring to the world, I am not someone who's great at bookkeeping. I'm a personal finance guy. I have never done my own books ever, right? Ever, ever, ever. Right. So what what do I do well? Like I do I do events well. I do TV well. So I need to be focused on the things that I do well, in part because that's my self expression. And in part because that's where the money is for me. Mm-hmm. And I can solve this problem for anybody who's listening in the interior design business. You absolutely 100% can afford a bookkeeper because if you have your bookkeeper, keep track of his or her time and tie that time to specific clients, you need to build the clients for that time, period, end of story. So your bookkeeper should not only not cost you money, it should be another revenue stream in your business. If it's a task that a client would have to do if you weren't on the job, in other words, would they have to phone a store and purchase something and follow up the paper trail and pay for it and file that paperwork, et cetera, cetera, and the answer is yes, they would, then it's perfectly fine for you to bill that customer for having taken on that task. So if you're listening and you think you can't afford a bookkeeper, or you need to you need to phone me. You need to phone Bruce. I promise you, you absolutely can afford a bookkeeper. So yeah. okay. So the the third one on your list. Gosh, this is amazing. I love this. The third one on your list is complexity. I don't know that I understood that. What does that mean? So so complexity. The word word is the state of being complicated. And in some ways, we have too little complexity when it comes to getting a handle on our money. And in some ways, we have too much. So. Uh, I was working with this amazing young entrepreneur and she had one of those light bulb moments that unfolded in front of my eyes. And she said, I can tell you how much I spent on lip gloss every year for the last five years because she was a tracker. She had one of those tracking, you know, like a mint.com kind of service that um, tracked all her money. And then I said, okay, that's, that's fine. Whatever fills your boots. And she said, but I've had a basement apartment in my house that has been vacant for a year. So she focused on tracking for lip gloss instead of $12,000 in revenue from a basement apartment. Cause she needed to, I don't know, paint the bedroom or something like that. Okay. So she didn't have sufficient complexity on her income property. She had too little complexity on her income property and too much complexity on her tracking. 
of stuff. Like, who cares? Buy as much, literally, buy as much lip gloss as you want. Because there is no way a human being could spend more than $1,000 on lip gloss in a year. I don't even know where you'd put it all if you put $1,000 <laughs> on lip gloss. But not having your basement apartment rented is $1,000 a month that you do not have. It's ridiculous. Right. So, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will retain the services of a financial advisor. Not all, but a lot will. And they won't return their calls. They won't go to their annual meeting. They won't sit down and pour through their statements. And they don't recall, they don't like clue in that every financial advisor is paid. And if you're in a traditional commission-based arrangement, you're paying 2.3%. That's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a year. And if you put it in your work as a designer, can you imagine a design, you know, a client hires you to design a new kitchen and they pay the money up front and then you you know, you book an appointment with them to come and show them the plans for the new kitchen and you knock on the door, they're not home. You go around to the back door, they're not home. And they never get the kitchen done, but they've already paid you every single penny. It's ridiculous. Like no one would ever do that. But that's what many entrepreneurs do with financial advisors in particular. And I'm talking about those who manage uh, investments. You know, if it's your tax lawyer, it's transactional. You, um, they do your taxes, you pay them. But with investments, most of the way people, most of the way advisors are paid with investments is it's a, it's a commission or a fee based on the amount of money that you have. And if you don't demand service for that money or like engage with them on how my investment's doing, they can just sit there and earn their fee without you getting any of the value for it. Right. Okay. So we have to advocate for ourselves then when it comes to the money yeah. that we have out in the world. Yeah. And choose where you need complexity and where you don't. So some entrepreneurs have uh, too little complexity on forecasting and they will sort of lick their finger and lift it to the air to see which way the wind is coming. And it doesn't work that way for many people. Some people have more business than they can handle and they just need to really focus on profitability. Some don't and they need a proper business development plan. And I'm sure this is something you work with with people on all the time. That's not magic and, you know, unicorns and rainbows. There's a process to that. Here's how you build your business. You do this, 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 and this. If that doesn't work, you try this, this, and this, and this, and this. You're running a business. So it may be for some of your listeners that where they need more complexity is on BD. And BD has a dollar sign attached. What is BD? Business development. Oh, see what I'm talking about? I don't speak money. You just threw that little. Yeah, PD I'm sorry. In there. I, I, I did not right. know what a PL was when I started my business. My business, right. I hired a business coach. She said, Can I take a look at your PL? I'm like, What? Is that like <laughs> this is not my annual exam? What are you doing here? Yeah, <laughs> no, you may not. You may not look at my PL. Yeah, okay. So BD, business development. Okay. Business development. So some people have too little complexity on that front. Like they just kind of go project to project and. They also, where there's another, oh, I was working with this entrepreneur and um, I was reviewing some of her quotes, her consulting quotes, and she hadn't factored in things like travel time. She's working on a, you know, a Canadian business. And yes. so what we learned fairly quickly was that almost none of her projects were truly profitable because she wasn't accounting for her time properly. Like literally in the spreadsheet, she was not accounting for her time. So some of your listeners, where they need more complexity is in the sophistication of their estimates. Mm-hmm. Is they, They're like, oh my God, I'm working day and night and I don't feel like I'm ever getting ahead. How are you pricing? Does your pricing actually make sense? And is now the time to build in travel time, build in bookkeeper as we talked about? What else could you build in to ensure that you're profitable. And then their next thought is going to be, but my clients won't pay for that. Well, who knows about that? And if they won't pay for that, then really should you be in business or should you go work for someone else? They will pay for it. They will pay for it. I've never had the experience of coaching anyone who didn't get their fees up to a living wage and the clients wouldn't pay. In fact, it's usually the opposite. Suddenly you look professional, you seem professional and clients trust 
that and they will hire that. So don't don't be afraid of that. I want to make sure we hit on the last one, which is community. And then when we yep. do, after we do hit on community, I knew this was going to happen. There's way too much information to cram it all into one podcast. So I'm going to, we're going to wrap up after the community conversation and we're going to go to a part two. And I want to go through those five things that smart people, smart entrepreneurs do uh, that make them sort of dumb when it comes to money. But let's talk about community because that's important yeah. to us here at Business of Design. Group of people who have something in common. A community is a group of people who have something in common. So that is our family. It's the neighbors on our street. It's people whose first name is Bruce. It's uh, designers. It's designers in our area. It's whatever, whatever. Community is completely um, defined by how we choose to define it. So if we think about a community of people, what does a community provide? Three things support, ideas, and accountability. Three amazing things. So I'm, I have a seven-year-old, almost eight-year-old. In the parenting community, this is an easy example, and some of your listeners are parents. You can go to a playground, any playground, and if you see a kid who's around your kid's age and you just like kind of eyeball who the parent is, if you were to wander over and talk to that parent, provided they weren't thinking you were a stalker or a you know an axe murderer, and you said, oh, How's it doing with a kid in grade three? You would find that many of the issues you're dealing with are the same as yours, and they would provide you with support. Like they'd be like, be like, oh my god, yes, choosing a Halloween costume. Oh, how do we figure out about Christmas? <laughs> they'd commiserate. They'd be like, ah, oh, yes. And the second thing that they would be able to do, not all of them, but if you talk to enough people on the playground, they would have ideas for you. So you say, oh, my God. So Abby had lice six times in a row. It was just the worst thing ever. But when you talk to parents, they're like, oh, here's what you do. You do this. You do this. And, and in the absence of leveraging community, I would have been alone. I would have thought I was the only one dealing with lice. And nope, nope. They're like, oh, it happens all the time. Call lice squad. You go. and blah, 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 blah. The third benefit of community, and this is more uh, intimate, in my family, I have siblings who are parents, and they're amazing. If I was consistently not being the parent that they hold me to be, they'd give me a swat across the face. They would, they would like come and park outside my house and say, Bruce, you need to raise the bar here. And there have been times in my parenting career where my siblings have said, Bruce, don't do that. Do this. They hold me accountable for what I say I'm going to do and be when it comes to being a parent. So this is what communities provide. It's amazing. You know, if you think about the old agricultural communities and someone was sick, we show up with a casserole. We help them build a barn. We do all these great things to help other people. And yet when it comes to money, we can't talk about it. We can't support people on it. It's verboten. And that is an enormous missed opportunity. Think about someone who has a, a, a tough medical diagnosis. You tell your close friends, they organize a carpool for your chemo appointments. Right. That's just how it, how it, how it, not how it goes for everybody, but how it can go. And if you were someone who was dealing with $30,000 in credit card debt and you didn't know what to do, how does that, how do you engage your friends? You don't, you don't tell them, you don't talk about it, you feel shame and you feel this level of um, inaction and you feel trapped in a way that you wouldn't feel if it was just cancer, air quotes, just cancer. Right. Because at least cancer is socially acceptable. I'm allowed to have cancer. People are allowed to help me if I have that. But if I've gone through a job loss or a divorce or I made a stupid investment and I lost all my money, I somehow can't resource the people who would be making me a casserole if I had cancer. Wow. What? That is no, so no, no, no. True. We need to do this. We need to be helpful. We need to be helpful because we care about our friends. We care about our friends and family. We don't judge. If they're dealing with mental illness, we don't judge them. We say, you know, my God, your serotonin levels have cratered. We need to get you support. I don't know if it's counseling. I don't know if it's uh, antidepressants. I don't know. But I'm here for you. That's what we do. Right. And we don't do this. We have this one area in which we are unwilling to be supportive. And that's money. That is incredible. And it's a cultural thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And now I and made people up don't have a, Go ahead. People don't have a way in. Like, people don't have a way in. Like, if someone has a cancer diagnosis, you're like, okay, all right, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, there's so much online about how to support someone with cancer. And um, I'm going to rally the neighbors and the casserole delivery starts tomorrow. With money, we don't know how to 
do that. We don't, have, we don't know what the way in is. And the way in is not loaning them money. That's not it. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different ways in, but that's not it. Is it because we think that the a money problem is a self-inflicted wound sometimes where a, an illness is random, you know, you get handed it? I, I don't know. There are so many hang-ups around money. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's, you're right. There's not really a way. I can't imagine myself at a party for the interior design community and selling up to someone I don't know very well and saying, yeah, you know, I, my profit this year was $4,000. Like, yeah, there's a buzz killer. I, I yeah. that that would just get everyone to back away slowly from me, probably. So yeah. So what do you and do we if don't, you're a small we don't business do owner? That. Then who do you who need... do you contact? Sorry, there's a bit of a yeah. gap here. Who do you who do you reach out to then when you know you need financial help and you want to build yeah. that community? So with a design, let's say it's a, a designer who's I don't know if they're starting out or they've been in it for a while and they're just it's just they're just not making it work one of the things they could do is say, I want to start a little mastermind group or whatever you call it in your world, but let's use mastermind group as a thing. And you have four people, maybe you have six people, you invite them over on a Tuesday night and you say, listen, I want us to get together to improve our business. What's one thing that's working? What's one thing that's not working? Everybody goes, your thing is, listen, my cash flow sucks. I've got X thousands of dollars on my credit card and I need help to try and figure out what to do about this. And they'll give you suggestions. They might not know anything. They might, you, they might have people you, you can talk to. They might simply be your accountability partner. Mm-hmm. So what's an accountability partner? An accountability partner is someone who you ask to hold you accountable for something. And that can be, and I've used accountability partners in lots of different ways over the course of my life, but basically it's the person who you promise to do something and then you agree on the consequences. Okay. So I had a friend who, um, you know, she got married and uh, I was accountable for the success of her marriage. And when the marriage hit the rocks and she called me and said, I think I'm going to leave my marriage. I said, you can't do that. Well, why can't I do that? Because you told me I was accountable for the success of your marriage and you haven't even, this is the first I've heard about it. So do I have to, and I said this, do I have to hop on a plane and fly down to Atlanta and smack you with love, right? With love. Do I have to hop on a plane? And she said, no. And I said, okay, so here's what we need to do. We need an accountability circle with all your tier ones. Give me your list of tier ones. It's her mom. It's her first cousin. It's her best friend. It's me. And it's her brother. So we held a conference call and we brought to the conference call Jennifer's marriage. And how are we as her community going to provide her with support, ideas, and accountability? Because it is not okay for her to suffer alone. Not happening, not doing it, not on my watch. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. So th- you, so that's what business of design is then. We are your support community. We are there for support, for ideas, and for accountability. And I And if you're living in a small community and you can find three or four other people in your small community, those face-to-face meetings can be hugely helpful. But the point is, wherever you live, you need to start talking about the money part and not yeah. and, and be, get comfortable with it and let go of the shame that surrounds money. Yeah. Okay. Wow. This has been really fascinating. Thank you so much for sharing this. We like to end every episode with design intervention. And that's just kind of some quick, I don't know, cocktail chatter that you think might be helpful to the community. Uh, Something you have used in the past with other small business owners that is immediately actionable. Um, Anything come to mind? I didn't prepare Bruce for this, so he, this That's is okay. just throwing you, it at him. You mean like a little, like a little amuse bouche kind of tip? Exactly, something we can okay. Implement Here's my amuse bouche tip. Everybody gets so ridiculous about budgeting, like budgeting either their business or budgeting their home. Mm-hmm. So I want to lower the standard and do. Uh, here's my approach. I call it sustainable spending, and it is A B C. A analyze B brainstorm, see, change. So instead of tracking everything, what I want you to do is look through your spending for a couple of months. It's not, this doesn't take two seconds. It takes a little bit of work. Look at your spending and you'll see, oh, I spent this much on groceries, this much on eating out, this much on the mortgage or the rent, this much on my car. Huh? Okay. This is what I spent. Got it. Clear. Brainstorm. What are one or two things that you could do differently? 
and do things that will make a difference because we all have a limited number of units of willpower. No one has unlimited willpower. So if you're trying to manage the um, bloody constraints on every area of your life, don't do it. It may be that for you, just not going to the mall is going to be the way for you to save money because if you don't go to the mall, you're not going to buy shoes or whatever. Uh, So you brainstorm a couple things that would make a big difference and then you change them. You change two or three things. And if they're ones that will make a difference, that's what's going to allow you to spend as much as the holy heck you want on lip gloss or coffee or hair or clothes or whatever it is because you've addressed the real issue in your budget. Sustainable spending, analyze, brainstorm, change. Okay. Seriously, I love that. That is so good. All right. You're going to have to think of another design intervention when I have you back to talk about the dumb things smart people do with money. You promise? Promise. You're awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. At Business of Design, we know it takes more than hard work and talent to successfully run a professional design firm. There are proven business strategies that can solve your immediate business challenges and transform your life. Don't try to do this alone. Join today and you'll have access to more than 100 video courses, plus access to Kimberly Selden as your mentor and guide. Unlike traditional coaching, which can take years to produce tangible results, BOD is a fast track to immediate results for independent interior designers, decorators, architects, stagers, and landscapers just like you. Monthly membership is only $67.50. Annual members save two months and have access to Kimberly's contracts. What are you waiting for? Together, we will achieve extraordinary results. Start today. Start today.